0: You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to the Women in Archaeology podcast, a podcast about for and by women in the field. On today's episode, we will be talking about climate change and archaeology with a particular focus on the island nation of Kiribati. Joining me for this discussion are Emily Long, Kirsten Lopez and Kiribati scholar Michael Roman. Thanks so much for coming on the show today.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, yeah, um, I'm super excited about this conversation. Um, but Mike, since this is your first time on the show, could you just do like a really brief introduction for um, yourself for the audience?
2: Um, my name is Mike Roman. I work at the University of Cincinnati. Got my PhD in cultural anthropology from the University of Pittsburgh way back in 2014. Um, my focus was on Pacific Island, nations in endangered Pacific island nations, uh, culture, uh, heritage, environment, existence, um, as a result of climate change. And not a lot of people know this, but there are six endangered nations in the world today that really put the human face to climate change something that people don't talk about, people don't recognize. Um, But I think it's something that speaks louder than the uh, scientific evidence that has been put forth for the last 25, 30 plus years because humans relate to humans.
1: For sure. And I know I follow you, um, a project that you're associated with called Humans of Kiribati on Instagram. And I mean, some of the The images, the photos there with the descriptions are just really, really powerful. We'll just include that, the link to that Instagram account in the show notes.
2: Okay. We also have a Facebook account, which is actually a whole lot bigger than the Instagram account. Just because Facebook allows you to do so much more in terms of um, sharing our, our videos, sharing... Um, podcasts, (laughs) um, sharing (laughs) articles, uh, sharing so much more on Facebook. Um, I would say we have probably around 80,000 followers on Facebook and only about like two, maybe, no, 1,500, something like that on Instagram. So Instagram is really a baby account compared to what we have on Facebook. But both of them are linked together. So... It's a great tag team. We tried Snapchat. Uh-uh. It's, it doesn't work for us. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, I will definitely be going and finding the Facebook page to follow that as well. But before we get into some of the specifics of what's going on in Kitterbas, do you just kind of quickly want to touch on the fact that climate change is real and kind of what the impacts of climate change are on the archaeological record. So Emily or Kirsten, do
3: either of you wanna jump in with a summary? Sure. I'd be happy to jump in. Climate change is real. What a what an amazing, you know. Revelation there, <laughs> concept. But yes, uh, climate change is impacting. I mean, different nations throughout the world in a variety of ways. Whether it is flooding um, or melting of uh, permafrost, um, we see in Alaska areas that are literally falling into the sea. Um, artifacts eroding out of uh, out of the banks, so exposing a lot of archaeological sites. But then also dramatically changing indigenous cultures um, that are are living in those areas. And it's very difficult to practice those um, practices because they don't have the same access to um, salmon because salmon populations have changed or Mm -hmm. um, the literally the village is falling into the sea all the way to other issues where um, cemeteries are being flooded. Uh, It's just, many issues throughout the world. The primary one seems to be um, warming of permafrost or the uh, inundating of island nations or in coastal regions.
1: Yeah, and I know there was a a journal um, article recently published in mm-hmm. Plus One where some scholars went and looked at the number of archaeology sites uh, on the oh. east coast, southern east coast yes. of the U.S. that were going to be impacted by climate change if the rate of global warming continues at its current rate by the end of the century. And the number that they came up with for archaeological sites, this doesn't include historic cemeteries or anything like that, um, was around Mm -hmm.
3: 20,000. And it's a lot of pre-Columbian sites, early... Early historical sites like Jamestown um, or uh, Charleston, uh, mm-hmm. South Carolina, um, really, really early Native American sites. So just putting a, a face on that in a way or a picture, giving a picture to what actually could be lost is these amazing, really old coastal um, Native American villages to places like Jamestown.
1: Right, and it's not just the sites; it's also the people who exactly. live in those areas. Um, one, one state that was almost entirely red, and it's the state <laughs> that I live in, um, was was Maryland. You know, and that's that's kind of terrifying that almost the entire state was red, and red was bad because red was underwater.
4: Well, and some of this is like it's not even what could it's more what will oh yeah that's a good point a yes matter, it's just a matter of time um, there are things that we can curb to slow it down and depending on kind of what scale you're looking at you know the the rate of flooding in different areas we've already started to see you know
1: oh yeah this this definitely isn't a problem of the future this is a problem that's happening mm-hmm. right now um and if we could now kind of shift it back to to mike and Kiribati since we did this nice little intro um can you tell us a little bit about what is currently happening in Kiribati?
2: well what is currently happening is a result of climate change that you guys are talking about um but what i tend what i'm writing about right now is uh um a manuscript called When There Was No Money Um, because so much of island life is life without money. There's a different way of being in the United States versus being in the Pacific Islands uh, of Kiribati, of Marshall Islands, of Tokelau, of Tuvalu, of small scale societies. And um, something that they always... Tell me, and I joke about which is it's true, but there's a saying in Kiribati that goes, In Kiribati, family is everything, and everyone is family.
3: Hmm.
2: Now, to take those words and try and imagine what your life would be like if you were related to everyone in the USA. And you cared about everyone in the USA because they cared about you. Your being, your existence depended on their existence. Mm -hmm. That's how it is in the islands. And, um, when, when we talk about climate change, we're talking about greed. We're talking about money. We're talking about who can make the most profit at the end of the day and my um a really close friend a really close relative of mine was the uh, is the former president of the nation and he always talks about climate change as being the greatest moral crisis in Hmm. today's modern era moral crisis he comes at it from the same standpoint that i come at it climate change is not about ecology climate change is not about science, climate change is about greed is about power is about wealth is about hoarding is about selfishness. Mm -hmm. And so much of the science that has been hidden by Exxon by large corporations is almost reminiscent of what happened with the tobacco industry. And Naomi Orsikis and Eric M. Conway wrote about this in their book, great book, Merchants of Doubt. How doctors were bought to say that smoking doesn't cause any problems. All the movie actresses and actors and it's glamorized. This is good. This is nice. This This is the same thing that they did with climate change. Right. They... They made it seem like it wasn't a problem. We knew about this in 1989. I have a statement. November 16, 1989, Kiribati's Minister for Home Affairs and Decentralization, Barbara Kirata, stated this at the Conference on Sea Level Rise in Malia Island, which nobody knows about. There was a conference in 1989, there were conferences in 1985, there were conferences in 1970s talking about sea level rise. They were not heard. The voices were not heard, were not exposed. This is one voice that said, over the centuries, the question of rise in sea level was never heard of. Our ancestors had lived happily for centuries on our islands without fearing that one day our beautiful homes may be lost as a result of the deterioration in the environment. Now, Lapita pottery, talking about archaeology, Lapita pottery shows the progression from Southeast Asia into the Pacific, modern-day Taiwan, into the Pacific via the northern and the southern routes.
1: Um, a, a lot of our listeners are not um, necessarily. Um, academics. So, can you, if you're going to talk about Lapita pottery and I'm interested to hear about it, can you kind of explain briefly the time period that that's from? And oh, just yeah. break it down a little bit more because Thank I also, you. not my area of specialty, I don't actually know what Lapita <laughs> but pottery.
2: I really is. want to know. So, uh, <laughs> help. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Yes. So, you're familiar with the uh, Pacific Islands mm-hmm. and just the vastness of the Pacific yes. Ocean.
4: Yeah.
2: The migrants into the Pacific Ocean came from Southeast Asia, Marinday, Taiwan. And as they traveled by land, by the Sohu Bridge, by what was exposed, because when they traveled 10, 15,000 years ago, there was um, uh, the sea level was a lot lower at that point in time. And so they could cross by land into Papua New Guinea, over to Australia, down to um, the southernmost points of Australia, Tasmania, which today, it's all covered by water. But when they got further and further into the Pacific, they go to the end of Papua New Guinea, and they're like, oh, can't go anywhere else. End of Australia, oh, can't go anywhere else. What are we gonna do? Well, I don't know, we'll travel by boat. So lashing canoes, lashing, Rafts making canoes, they traveled. They were voyagers. If you ever see Moana, this is what Moana is about. They were voyagers and they traveled by these double rigged hull canoes, huge, amazing things splicing through the ocean as fast as the wind could take them. When they traveled, they traveled intently, they traveled on purpose. They brought with them chickens, hey, hey, for Moana. They brought with um, food they made. Um, they made uh, pottery to hold this food on intent journey intent journey. Um, it has been discovered off the coast of South America, huh. I believe in Peru, maybe chicken bones, Polynesian chicken bones. So these guys intently try, uh, chicken didn't just jump on the raft and end up in Lima. It was intentional voyaging mm-hmm. and the Lapita pottery was part of this intentional voyaging. The Lapita pottery was made, crafted to transport goods, grains, food, whatever it is, on these voyages. And I actually held a piece of Lapita pottery in Fiji. But from island to island they would move and they would travel and Some would stay and start a new population in one island. Then that population would move on and they would move and start a new population and then they would move and start a new population. And all of this can be traveled, can be carbon dated by the Lapita pottery. And more so, it can be tagged because there were certain uh, designs carved into the potteries. And we can actually see this Crew that traveled with this marking on their pottery ended up in Tonga and then moved on to, you know, Fiji and then moved up to, um, moved over to Samoa and then moved up to Kiribati. All of these shards are collected and that's kind of how we discover the travels of the Pacific Islanders. Moana makes it easily understandable for anyone to to see and to experience. But it's true. And those designs that... Oh, I forget the main character. Come on, help me out here. Big tattoo guy. Maui. Oh, Maui. Maui. Maui, duh. All these tattoos that he is wearing have strong Mm -hmm. meaning of their lineage, where they come from, who they are. Which match the pottery. So there is a relationship between this Lapita pottery and the Pacific Islanders that happened thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Mm -hmm. So when Kireta says over the centuries, the question of rising sea level was never heard of, yes, your ancestors lived happily for centuries on the islands without fear of one day their homes being lost as a result of climate change. It's true. The Lapita pottery says right. so. <laughs> the carbon dating evidence says so.
1: And while you mentioned that in the in the past, the water levels may have been um, somewhat lower in that area of, of the world,
2: they were there was land bridges.
1: The yeah, but the the kind of change in shoreline that. Uh, is being seen today is is really market. Um, I was reading a little bit before we started this recording about the, I think it was called the King Wave or the the King Tide, King Tide, King Tide. Um, and how often do those happen? The next
2: one is in oh. fifteen days. All right,
1: that's terrifying. <laughs> um,
2: oh, January has seen two, or we've seen one so far, but we will see another one at the end of this month. Yeah. And the thing is, it's normal. Like, king tides come about because of the gravitational forces on the planet Earth as a result of the pull from the moon. The moon controls the tides. It controls the high tide, the low tide. And the difference is we are starting to see stronger and higher king tides, particularly because there's more water.
1: Right. And I mean, how much coastline has Kiribati lost in the last 10 years? Let's say if you had to estimate.
2: It's hard to say, but I'll I'll give you photographic evidence um, right now.
1: We we can link to that in our notes. But if you had to estimate.
2: um... It's it's I hate (laughs) estimating because, um, you know, people want to get down to the numbers. Mm -hmm. And down to the inches or down to the meters when it's Mm -hmm. not about that. It's not about inches or meters. It's about survival.
3: Mm -hmm. And I can imagine these places are being largely inundated to the extreme. A lot of houses being lost. Is that what's occurring?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, another thing about climate change is that it really impacts not only the tides, but also... The weather, the more moisture in the air over a warm oceanic area, the more freedom tropical cyclones gain to move whichever and wherever they want to go. The the impetus for for humans of Kiribati was Cyclone Pam. The first time ever in recorded history that Kiribati was hit by a cyclone. Kiribati is straddled right between the, the trade winds, you know, 10 degrees north and 10 degrees south of the equator. It's calm. It's relatively calm because the trade winds are going one way in the north and one way in the south and leaves the Pacific equatorial region calm. But Cyclone Pam broke that and went up to Kiribati and destroyed so much of Kiribati before it went on down to Vanuatu and destroyed so much of Vanuatu. And these cyclones are gaining more strength and more power because of climate change.
1: That's something that you see um, elsewhere. I mean, the the U.S. has certainly had some terrible hurricanes this year that, you know, were um, made possible by climate change. I think Ireland got hit by a hurricane, um, which was which was climate change. So it's having a devastating effect all around the world. And it's certainly outside of the norm. Um, And I think that on that note, we need to go to break. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Kiribati and um, some of the heritage concerns uh, that they are facing.
0: Podnet.com/members.
1: Hi, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. So far on today's episode, we have been discussing some of the issues with archaeology and climate change, particularly issues that are facing the island nation of Kiribati. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about some of the specifics of what's going on in Kiribati. Um, and the the issues of climate change in the Pacific in general, as well as some general Pacific history, which I was really really happy to have because it's not my area of expertise. Um,
2: but Glad to provide we, it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm super happy about it. Um, but Mike, if you could talk a little bit about some of the heritage concerns that are happening about um, archaeology sites with this. Um, you know, maybe some of this pottery that's disappearing under the water, um, along with issues of, like, family burial grounds. And I know there are some issues around that that are really poignant.
2: Um, yeah. So, Aldra sprint closer to home, U.S. home. Um, okay. Back in 1940, I'm going to get this wrong, but I want to say the late November... 1943 there was a big battle in uh, Tarawa called mm-hmm. the Battle of oh, the Battle of Tarawa um, in Beso between the Japanese and the US uh, armed forces and a lot I think something like 3,000 died uh, within three days oh, um, my goodness. the Remnants of the war are still there. The mm-hmm. battle guns are still on Beso's edge and the bodies of American and Japanese soldiers are still buried in the ground. Now, what has been happening with King tides is a lot of dog tags, a lot of, um, helmets, a lot of bones have been surfacing. And so when I was a Peace Corps volunteer, I, one of my, my cohort, one of my volunteers uh, that was in the same class as I, uh, K-27, um, stumbled upon some dog tags from this war and uh, reported they had a ceremony and then two U.S. Air Force planes that couldn't fit on any island um, (laughs) came to (laughs) Kiribati to pick up the dog tags. Only, I think only one was able to land. Um, The other one just kind of shimmied back to the Marshall Islands. And um, so that has spawned the U.S. government to do something about bringing the soldiers home, bringing the Marines home. And I think it was last December last, last December that the U S military went to repatriate some bones to, to find the missing, uh, soldiers. Um, they found remnants pieces of they've, uh, they've described 15 or 16 soldiers that they brought back to the U S and buried in Arlington national cemetery. Now, why after 70 years, you know, are they doing this now? Well, it's because they're kind of not sure if they, they're they going to be able to do so in the future. So even though the current government um, kind of denies that it's happening, the military is really aware and acting on um, trying to do what they can while they can.
1: So when I went to high school, actually, of all things, her father um, actually works... With that that branch of the um, armed forces, he's a forensic uh, anthropologist, pathologist. I'm not entirely sure of his his official title, um, but they've really been ramping up. Uh, at least my understanding is that they've really been ramping up activities in in the Pacific, not just in Kiribati, but um, in other nations as, as well, because there is a question of how long the remains will be recoverable and it Mm -hmm. might be difficult to, uh, difficult and or expensive to recover bodies from some of the places they are. You know, I remember one particular tale about a plane that was hanging off a tree on the side of a mountain that they decided to excavate (laughs) and they knew where the plane was, but it was just going to be a pain to get to. Um, but as much of a pain as it could be to, to get to some of these sites since as expensive it is as it is now, it's just going to be harder to get to and more expensive if you have to do underwater archaeology. Yeah.
2: Or impossible. Yes. So, I mean, that's heritage for U.S. Um, but I think you want me to talk about um, kind of like my own experience with my own Caterboss family and, and their heritage. The connection that there is one word known as ABBA, ABBA can mean country, ABBA can mean people, and ABBA can mean land, three in one. It's like the Holy Trinity. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The connection that the land has to the people and the people have to the land is cosmological in a sense because not like here in the USA where you grow up, in one house and then your dad gets another job or your mom gets another job you move to another place and then you go college and you go another place and then you get a job and you go to another place um we're not we're we are a very mobile society here in the usa to a large part in comparison with kitabas in kitabas you are born on your family's land you live on your family's land and you die on your family's land And when you die, you are buried in that family's land. So you are so tied to that land that um, when you die, you go and you join the ancestors to watch over that land for future generations. So land is essential to a identity, personhood, and existence. And when we talk about climate change and climate change impacting the land, washing away, eroding, submerging, we're talking about washing away the identity, the personhood, the connection between people and land in Kiribati. And this is true for a lot of other Pacific Island nations. Land is your life and your life is your land.
1: With that connection, um, I imagine that that makes it really difficult for people to decide to emigrate if if they do decide that that's the you know the best option. Um, and that's even if they can because i I realize we don't really recognize climate change as a viable reason for someone wanting to to emigrate or for a potential refugee status.
3: Is it New Zealand um, bringing in folks from Kiribati um, as climate change refugees? Is that correct? I think that was a really recent change, wasn't it? A
1: change in policy?
2: So that was Jacinda. Mm -hmm. Jacinda Arden, the new prime minister from the labor movement. Um, She actually graduated from the university that I taught at as a Fulbright scholar in New Zealand. Very proud of her. (laughs) She also (laughs) follows humans at Peterbass, I've heard. The law is that Environment cannot be a cause for refugee status. Period. That wasn't drafted up in the declaration of of, um, of refugees when it was created. People weren't even thinking about when it was created. Um, but she wanted to do something for Pacific Islanders that are facing eminent loss of land, eminent loss of country, and um, they have. St- they have it in the works, like it's just being talked about it's not implemented, there's no law for it, but it's being discussed, and that's where they are with that.
3: are there thoughts on then um and i don't I don't know if this would even be possible that should people uh, immigrate elsewhere, whether it's New Zealand, et cetera, would they take the bones of their ancestors with them? Would that be even a possibility or is it something that um, you would keep your ancestors in place?
2: Uh, you – yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs>
3: I don't know. Like if you want to take them with you to then like have a new, new land, yeah. new no, home. No, no,
2: no. no, you don't want to remove the ancestors from their homes. They okay. belong there. Okay. And with the living, the elders of the society, they feel this very much the same way. We had an elder here in the United States who passed away, and her last dying wish was take my ashes back home and spread them on my land. Mm-hmm. There is such this strong, innate connection between wow. land and people. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to my family in Kiribati, the elders and the family, um, they all say we want to die here. We want to die in our country youth say that too not all youth more adults more elders say they want to die there than youth we're talking about an ecological genocide that has been in the making since 1989 mm-hmm. there is no stopping this from happening we know sad to say that i'm saying this on a podcast we know our time is limited mm-hmm it's not an if it's a when hmm. and um there's a lot of people ready to die,
3: and there's no um i mean i I totally see what you're saying. I'm just wondering, like has there been any shift in the culture in terms of what can we preserve, or is it better to stay where you are and remain? With your ancestors, etc., or is it better to move elsewhere? Because it's 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 honestly hard for me as somebody like has. It's easy for me to be like, I'll just move to a different state because I don't have that same connection with the yeah. land. Um, so I'm just I'm wondering from that standpoint, have they have the the indigenous peoples there th- have thought about like how can we move elsewhere, or is it literally like we have to stay?
2: Nowhere else in the world is open to take these people. Uh. It's not like you can just move to a different state mm-hmm. because the state that you have moved to is in the same position I in Katerbas. Okay. None of our land rises more than a couple inches above the ocean. Um, Banaba does, but Banaba was mined back in World War II for phosphate by the British. Mm-hmm. And they moved everybody off of Bonne, But I think there's maybe a couple hundred people there, but that was an ecological disaster that um, got rid of the population. Just like climate change is an ecological disaster that will sooner than likely get rid of the population there, and same, martial arts, same with six, same with seven hundred and fifty plus thousand people around the world. What are we yeah. going to do without...
1: Yeah,
2: okay, This is just the front mm-hmm. lines. Well, we are on the front lines today, tomorrow it's California. The next day it's Florida. Mm-hmm. No? Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah.
1: It is. It's, I think, probably the single greatest issue that our generation and the
3: generation after us and the generation after them are going to face. So the option of eat, leaving is not even... An option. It's it's that's staggering to me. Has there? uh, And I I apologize. I'm guilty of not knowing enough about this situation because it just hasn't been on my radar and has been um, into UNESCO. That's why we
2: use social media. Uh,
3: Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad. I'm so glad you're on this podcast. And I I I checked the Instagram account and everything Um, because I was like, I'm doing this.
1: See, this is, this is why when I was on a panel with him at uh, uh, PAC, and by the way, I can only say <laughs> I am so glad that I presented before you because I don't know that I would have been able to pull myself together <laughs> enough to present after you,
3: uh, but so this is why I wanted you to come on the podcast because this is so important. Thank you. But has like UNESCO done – or not UNESCO, the UN, or – I don't know. like The UN is – I'm sure you must. I'm sure you must be tearing out your hair too. Just like what's being done? <laughs>
2: yeah, no, the UN is very well aware of our situation. Mm-hmm. I have a film that I was in partnership with. I do a lot of stuff, um, but appearing at the Sundance Film Festival f- Wednesday. Um, yeah. Oh, that's Wednesday, wonderful. Called Anote's Ark. It's about. Um, the former president, Anote Tong, and all that he did to raise global awareness of climate change. Um, It juxtaposes his fight for his country's life with um, a mother who's thinking, what am I going to do with my child? What am I going to do with my future? What is what? So you have the politics, you have the Pope, you have, you have the presidents of the USA, you have the whole UN Council. We had Ban Ki Moon come and visit us in Kiribati for about four days, he, the former Secretary General of the United Nations. And he was a real big stalwart, br- brilliant proponent for us to get our voices heard. And it did a lot for us, but the actions have not followed the warnings.
4: Hmm. Mm -hmm. So in an ideal world, Mike, what would you like to see happen over the next 10 or 15 years?
2: The whole point of humans, of Kiribati, is to paint a human face, to create human connections to humans, create awareness, but not only awareness empathy empathy for Mm
1: -hmm.
2: people you've never even heard of because there are so many countries that I've never heard of it's just I'm passionate about this and I got a gang of 15 youth in Kiribati who are as passionate about this with me as I am we're fighting for our lives on Facebook we're fighting for our lives on Instagram I created it because Kiribati is a beautiful country. Me and my cousin created it because Kiribati is a beautiful country with beautiful people, beautiful language, beautiful culture, beautiful everything. And at the very least, I want our stories to be known before they can't be known anymore. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's just so heart-wrenching. Um. And uh, so important, but I kind of want (laughs) to cry.
2: Yeah, when I give lectures, I always have sobers. You didn't see me give my full thing (laughs) because I was given like five minutes.
3: (laughs) Do you just put Kleenex boxes all over the conference room? Because you're like, I know. What's gonna happen? Oh, there
1: there were people crying oh, in that conference were? session.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh shit! I didn't even see. Oh, sorry. <laughs>
1: That's okay. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> it's acceptable. <laughs> um. Yeah, I definitely saw some people wiping at their eyes. I definitely was. Sitting next to you, being like, I'm sitting in a room full of people at the front, everyone is like looking at the person to my left who's talking very passionately. I'm like not going to turn bright red and start crying. I'm really not. I'm
2: not to put I'm you not. on the I'm, spot, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no. It it was so good. Um it was so powerful. And actually if you have a, a link to the the video that you show during your presentation. I would love to include that just in our show notes. Just
2: Google Mike Roman and Kiribati, and you'll find so many things. Um,
1: okay.
2: Yeah, just Google Kiribati CBS. And the okay. reporter was Seth Jones, S-E-T-H-J-O-N-E-S.
1: All right, excellent. We will be sure to put that in the show notes.
2: My most recent one was with Al Gore. Oh. Um, for his climate reality project. So if you Google climate reality project, Keterboss, you'll see like a, a narrow one. That was fun to do. That was fun to. Man. Yeah. Al Gore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? Well, we all definitely get both of those. Um, or all of those.
2: Oh, and then you know, Anote's Ark, Arc, uh, the fil- the Sundance Film Festival this week.
1: Which, unfortunately, this this podcast will be released after
4: the the Sundance. That's fine. Um, but I that yeah. just means people will be able to find it. <laughs> there. Be like it's available. Look it up.
1: Yeah. Well, on that note, I think that we're going to head to our second break.
0: and
4: welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. Um, in case you were gone for a long pause, we have Mike here with us, um, and we're going to discuss a little bit um, on uh, sort of some action plans late at the end. We're going to go over a little bit of what this all is all about, but I really wanted to point out, in case you're listening and you're really wondering why we're talking about climate change, specifically climate change on Kiribati, on an archaeology podcast, it doesn't take much to really realize that, you know, archaeology is heritage. We do heritage management, cultural resource management. Uh, It's all the link between the people in the past. And... Looking at climate change and the unfortunate and dire situation in Kiribati, it kind of brings home that we're all in this together, and archaeology is the past of humanity, and it's hard to see or relate to a past without the present or future. So just keeping in mind that this is humanity, we can only relate to past peoples if we can relate to other peoples in the present. So developing your empathy and just reminding everyone here that as an archeologist, we are part of the four fields, uh, in anthropology. Uh, this anthropology. is a very <laughs> American approach to archeology. span I, I recognize. Um, but that is definitely the approach that at least we're all here, American archeologists. So, um, and that's, that's where I want to pass it on.
1: So during the, the break, Mike, you made a, a really interesting comment that I like to go back to, which is actually a little bit off that topic. Um, but I think it's important to present as unbiased. <laughs> uh, you know, and an outlook as possible because no one would ever accuse us of being biased um <laughs> We're not, but, but you did or mention <laughs> right oh, us. um but you did mention briefly that there are some individuals in Kiribati who uh, much like our current administration don't believe in in climate change um and if you just want to really quickly address that so that at least we acknowledge it
2: yeah, 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 definitely. So it's hard to, um, to deny something that's on your front door. Um, but it does happen. And there's a very good reason I think for it. God, biblical terms, uh, kid us is a Christian nation. And in the Bible, it says, you know, God promised Noah never to flood the earth again. And as a, a testament to that, he created the rainbow, which would remind everybody of this covenant. Now in Kiribati, on the equatorial Pacific, with lots of water vapor in the air and enough sunshine for anyone to ever want in their entire life, it's very, very easy to see rainbows on an almost daily basis oh gosh. so there is a constant reminder that god promised noah and made this ark of color in the sky to remind everybody that the earth would never flood again so if you take the literal uh interpretation of the bible and the promise yeah people don't believe that climate change would happen because God promised there never to be a flood again so even on the front lines of climate change we still have different viewpoints which it's fine and uh and yeah that's that's something that I didn't expect to see when I went there for the very first time but definitely found out that it existed um, within my own cataba family
1: hmm although you you made another really interesting point in the the break that it a different interpretation is that it's not god who's causing the flooding it's humans
2: mm-hmm. yeah yeah like it, it it's not god necessarily that's breaking his or her or its promise it's we were entrusted biblical uh, biblical reference we were entrusted to care for the earth you know, it's our one common home, as Pope Francis always says. But we kind of messed up along the way of taking care of the planet. And um, greed, profit, money, pollution, chemicals, you know, all that took over. And uh, we are where we are today, if you if you uh, want to look at it in that light.
1: Yeah. Now, that, that being said, we are not... Past the point of, of no return I mean there's there's some amount of climate change that is going to happen because there is you know the amount of greenhouse gas in the, the atmosphere um, that already exists but mm-hmm. we can certainly still alter our path um, as individuals as groups of people as nations mm-hmm. um, to make sure it doesn't get mm-hmm. worse Um and and it will, to some degree, get worse because climate change isn't, I do something day one and there's a reaction day two. There is some lag time there. Um, so there's some amount of, of damage and some amount of change that is just going to happen. But yeah. there are, are certainly things that we can do moving forward to minimize future
2: damage. Yeah, yeah definitely. the one thing that I I hear so much about, I go to conferences, I go to presentations and all of these scientists are talking about, well, we can capture carbon and turn it into stone, or we can develop this new technology to uh, cut down the use of fossil fuels in electric hybrid cars or whatever it is, but this takes time and this takes money one thing that doesn't take time and doesn't take money is to be kind to think about humanity as a family not as you know a distant entity from one another and so when we're talking about humanity and when we're talking about being kind to other people and you know number one be aware that this is happening It's not just something abstract. This is a real thing that is ending lives. Um, It has killed people in Kiribati. People People have died from climate change. A lot of youth have died from climate change. I have in my desk a bottle of salinized well water to remind me of Junie's life. Um, who, you know, purports me to, who pushes me to talk on climate change and bring the human faces of climate change, um, to everyone and anyone I can see it's that human face. It's that human connection. I think that needs to be acted upon not technology, Mm -hmm. although technology helps, it's just, we can change our patterns of behavior to be kinder to other people and to the planet a lot easier than we can turn carbon into stone.
1: Well, and I certainly remember the the phrase and you said it at the beginning of the podcast, but you also said it in your conference presentation in October. And it's really, really stuck with me since then. Um, in Kiribati, everyone is family and family is everything. And if we viewed mm-hmm. other human beings, whether it's the three of you who are on the podcast with me or, you know, my twin sister. Or someone on the other side of the planet who I will never meet. Mm-hmm. If I viewed if we viewed all of those people as family and considered them in our actions, that would mm-hmm. be so powerful. And we could mm-hmm. really learn a lesson from Kitterbus And that's a, that would be a radical
3: change mm-hmm. too. Radical empathy. It yeah. would. In a way. <laughs> you will care.
4: <laughs>
1: um, but but I mean, it could be so revolutionary in the best sense. Well, and especially
3: in this day and yeah. age, we could all use a little more kindness, I think.
4: Yeah. Well, and even, you know, as they say, it's giving kindness and giving generally makes you happier. And oh, yeah. if it, not, it has nothing to do, and this sometimes drives me nuts with individuals I've known that do good works or th- volunteers or donates for the sake of mm-hmm. it looking good. And that is not giving. You know. That is still taking <clears throat> in the scheme of things. Um, because without that uneven um power then you know that person that's quote unquote giving is no longer able to do so if things were to you know uh there was a power dynamic change which i don't see happening at least in my lifetime Mm -hmm. but it would be nice (laughs) um i think that that is one of the biggest lessons here um And that I like to think of as an anthropologist and as an archaeologist is, you know, archaeology can help us empathize with other people that are here and now um, through one's own past or through the past of those that we can see um, and recognize in the archaeological record, uh, which sounds so sterile (laughs) right now, (laughs) beautiful language around me but just you know it's less about the things and the things one of the reasons why archaeology is popular in uh pop culture is because it's the the things people feel uh connected to it's the touch um mike you talked earlier about like the land being sort of this anchor point and the people are the land and the land is the people um with Western culture, it's very much things, which is, mm. has its, you know, ups and downs or whatnot, as far as whether I think that's good or healthy, <laughs> it's something completely different, but that's mm. where there there's this, this obsession or link with, with things and preserving and finding and recovering and touching. Um, there's a, a long history with just being able to touch something from a saint or from someone that was um, an important person. I mean, that same being able to identify that with people living and understanding that that we can have that connection with each other while we're still alive we don't have to wait for someone to die to like touch their urn or their ashes and be like oh you know it's (laughs) more important to have that connection with the people who are here and around us and like you said it's uh whether they're they're sitting next to you or someone you'll never meet. um, Just realizing that it's all, it's all human, you know, it's not. Mm
1: Yeah. We, we are all part of the same
3: family. And Mike, you, you gave a wonderful quote uh, during our break uh, from, I believe Margaret Mead. I was wondering, could you potentially give that quote again? I think that sums it up really nicely.
1: Yeah, and and anthropologists for a really long time, basically since the founding of the discipline, at least in this country, have recognized the value of anthropology for teaching humans understanding and empathy. There's a a quote by Ruth Benedict that I absolutely adore, um, where she said, quote, the role of anthropology is to make the world safe for human difference, end quote. Um, And if you're trying to make the world safe for human difference, you do have to understand other people and where they're coming from and why they feel the way they do. And if you understand people, you kind of have to value them. I think it's really difficult to to devalue Mm -hmm. something that you know and that you understand. Um, mm-hmm. and that, I mean, simply by the act of, of knowing about the people of Kiribati and what's going on and sharing that, that information can be really profound. So, you know, go to the Instagram account, go to their Facebook account, we'll put them in the show notes, um, follow those, those accounts, share them, you know, when a story comes up on your timeline that you think is interesting and and worth sharing, talk to people about Kiribati and what's going on there. That can have an amazing effect and doesn't require, you know, gobs of money or um, anything like that. It's something that you as an individual can do
4: mm-hmm.
1: quite, quite readily.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, I we created it because social media does so much more than academics, academic works, uh, academic publishings. Um, I think my dissertation might have about a thousand people, uh, who have downloaded it on average. One of my posts on humans of Kibera gets anywhere from 10 to 12,000, uh, within one day. Um, so mm-hmm. Like, learn, and share is what we always say.
1: Yeah. I mean, just the the scale
3: is so different.
1: Out of curiosity,
3: Um, so the movie that's at Sundance, uh, will it be available like on um, Netflix or will the full movie be available uh, for people um, on DVD? Will they be able to uh, watch it on Amazon? Any of that kind of thing?
2: Yeah. So – I'm so glad you brought that up because Anote is Arc. We are so excited for this to come out Mm -hmm. and premiere in the Sundance Film Festival this week. Um, It's going to open nationwide in Canada first. That's the immediate nation uh, release. And then from Canada, I don't know what the next steps are. It was a film uh, done by a Canadian filmmaker, um cinematographer, um, named Matthew Reitz. And um I will have those. I will be screening uh University of Cincinnati, Xavier, you know, local locals universities. Um more than happy to. I was a a partner in helping develop this film, supporting it. So um is super excited to, to just bring this to the full screen, to the, to the big screen and, and have people um, not only build their knowledge of, but building empathy for, you know, their larger family members all the way around That's the wonderful. world.
3: Wonderful. I'm really excited about the success of that. I can't wait to see it.
1: Yeah, I've seen the trailer. Mike shared the trailer with me um, and it's ugh, looks stunning. I wish I was going to be at Sundance. Oh,
2: I gave you like the, the cut,
1: the
2: yeah, unedited cut or like the rough cut, yeah.
1: yeah. Um. So if you if you get the chance, um, go see it and <laughs> talk to me about it. <laughs> um.
2: Well, I think I might be able to send you something. <laughs> you got my Gmail account? Yes.
1: Yeah. We'll we'll definitely stay in touch. Now we are rapidly approaching the end of this episode. Um, so we have got final thoughts. Um, I'm going to go first, if no one minds. I I know that there may be some people in, in the Western world who, empathy aside, may be thinking, well, this doesn't necessarily impact my life. Um, why should I care? And I just wanted to point out that the, the Western world in general, but the the US in particular is responsible for large amounts of the climate change that we're seeing. I think about a quarter of the uh, greenhouse gas emissions that have been released into the atmosphere, um, you know, the United States is responsible for. So we have all of this power to change because we have caused so much damage, but that's also an, an immense responsibility. Um, so whether that's, calling your Senator or voting for someone who believes in climate change or just doing your part to, to recycle at home. Um, you know, we, we really have a responsibility to everyone else in the world, um, to do better. So do better. (laughs) Take transit when you can. Yes. Public transit sort of thing. Um, Kristen, Emily, I know Mike, I want to give you the final thoughts since um this is your topic. But Kristen or Emily, do you have anything?
3: Um, the big thing is just I'm I'm sad that I didn't know that like that this wasn't on my radar, the situation. I'm glad and sad to now know about it, but I feel like from here we can at least get the word out and that makes me happy. And I'm Mike, I'm so glad you were on this podcast tonight. So, seriously, thank you. Yeah. Mm. Thank you.
4: Yeah, I think the only thing, I mean, I've kind of said my piece as far as I, this has been on my radar for I'm uh, not sure how long, a long time. Um, I'm not sure when or how exactly I heard about it. Um, but I know that it is one of the things that has always been um an indicator i guess in some ways that like this is definitely a thing (laughs) it will impact us all eventually this is just the beginning um and we're kind of in the later end of that now um and like mike was saying it's it's kind of just comes back around to what anthropology is about and and archaeology being part of that it's connecting with your fellow humans um and connecting with your past but you know in order for there to be a past there should also be a future and um just seeing how that is changing and just kind of taking it in and being like okay you know wow this is this is definitely happening i mean that's it's about where i'm at all right and mike
2: so i think what you guys are doing uh women in archaeology podcast is a great thing i think it's on the same lines as our humans of Keterbas team um it's a small group of really passionate people about something um we're trying to change the world you're trying to change the world too and I'm gonna end it with a Margaret Mead quote, Pacific anthropologist who stayed in Samoa, what Moana is basically talking about. (laughs) Um, But a long time ago, she said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And I like to say that ever will. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, this has been an amazing episode. Thank you so much, um, Kirsten, Emily, Mike, for taking time out of your busy schedules to record. As always, I have learned so much. um, And we will see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: Thanks for listening
1: to the Women in Archaeology podcast. Links to the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes. You can contact us at archaeology at gmail.com or at WomenArchies on Twitter. Please like, share, and subscribe to the show. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Support the show in the APN at www.archpodnet.com members. Thanks for listening and see you next time.
3: This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle